We are going to play a game, if that's okay, just for a couple minutes, maybe one minute. I think I'm overshooting that. If you all would, if you're able, please stand up. We're going to play a big game of Guess Who, okay? Come on, everybody up, if you can. I have somebody in mind, and you all have to guess who it is. So, if you are a human, stay standing. Good. This person is a man. So, women, sit down. Ladies, girls, sit down. Any idea who it is yet? No idea. This person is called Ian. Everybody, it's not called Ian. Sit down. Ian's, stand up. Look at that. Any idea who I'm on about yet? Ian? How do we... Stay standing. How do we stay... How do we be specific about what Ian we're talking about? The gorgeous one. Well, well, what do we do is we tell you exactly that. We tell you about Ian, don't we? Ian is wise. Ian is patient. <laughs> Ian works for our church. Does that help? Don't know who this guy is, but he's still standing. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Ian is married. Ian plays the bass guitar. There he is, Ian Fenton. Now, there may be, arrest my case, there may be many Ians in the world, but there's only one Ian Fenton. There may be many Ians in our church, but there's only one Ian Fenton, isn't there? There may be many Ian Fentons in the world. I had a look on Google, there's quite a few of them on LinkedIn, and they're all somehow um, finance people. It seems to be a theme. But as they say in Yorkshire, he's Arian, isn't he? He's Arian. In the same way, Hear me out. There is more than one God. There is more than one God. As we come to our Bibles and we come across the word God, that word is nothing special. The word Hebrew, I'm going to say it quite a lot, I'm going to show you what it is. It's the word Elohim, God. Let me explain that to you. In 2022, there was a survey produced by um, King's College in London, and of 3,000 people surveyed, 3,000 people, 49% of them said they believe in God. 49%. 46% of that same group of people said they believe in life after death. 41% of those people say they believe in heaven. 26% of people say they believe in hell. Now, I don't know what conclusions they were trying to draw from that. But do you know the one thing that told me was? That at least 49% of people who believe in a God are not talking about the same God. No matter where we're from, no matter our background, whether religious or cultural, we all, every one of us, have a concept of God in our brains, in our minds, that we run with. From Muslims to Hindus, atheists to agnostics, 
all these groups of people don't mean the same thing when they talk about God. And without coming to the true God, we'll come to that, but without coming to him himself and getting to know him through the means by which he has ordained his word, his son, his spirit, without coming to him like that, we, we tend to think of all the good aspects of humanity and everything we want a God to be, and we sort of channel that into our own idea of what we want that God to be like. Right? And that looks different for every person. In the same way, we'll come back to this, in the same way, the Bible tells us that there are many gods. There are many Elohim. That word God that you see up there isn't particularly unique to our God, even if he is the true one. Doesn't do us any favours in helping us make the distinction that there is only one true God. So how do we be specific? We tell you about him. We tell you, we talk about what is unique to the one true God. Now we took a little break from our Exodus series, didn't we? Um, last week it was great having Steve um, Brady come speak to us. Um, so let me just summarise the story where we're up to at the moment. Our guy Moses that we've been hearing about, if you don't know him, um, you can find him in the book of Exodus. Moses is the adopted prince of Egypt, if we can call him that. He is raised by Pharaoh's daughter and yet nursed providentially, ironically, by his own biological mother. You can't write this. And we've been asking one question. Who is Moses going to be? Is he going to be an Egyptian where life is good, life is easy, all the privilege? Or is he going to go back to his roots? Is he going to be an Israelite where it's hard and they're oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians? So if you will, just grab a Bible. And we're going to read just to refresh our memories from Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and that's on page 59. Exodus chapter 2, and we read from verse 11. It says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Moses spends 40 years after this living in Midian, 40 years. He meets a lovely girl, he starts a family, but he's living there in this self-imposed exile. He can't go back. 
He becomes a shepherd. He's working for his father-in-law. Moses has gone from the top of the the food chain, almost the top of the food chain under Pharaoh, and he's gone from there to the bottom. What we've just read, or what Avril, Avril read for us, should I say, Moses is 80 years old by that point. And things were already pretty bad for the Israelites around the time Moses was born. Pharaoh tried to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. And Moses, if anything, could have made the whole situation worse by killing this Egyptian and hiding the body and Pharaoh's getting all rowdied up. And then tensions are brewing for another 40 years beyond that. Just think how much worse the things could have got. Somebody's got to do something for these people. If there is a God, where is he? Why won't he do something about the mess the world's in? Does he see them? Doesn't he hear them? And as Avril just read for us, God takes the initiative and appears to Moses in a burning bush. And I bet Moses is buzzing by this whole thing. Finally, someone's going to save us. And that someone, of all people, is God. Let's do something about it, shall we? God says to Moses. Moses, get your shoes on. Verse 9. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 9. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, hold the bus. No, he didn't. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Me. You have got to be kidding me. Where's the camera? Standing here barefoot talking to a bush. Pharaoh. Go, go to Pharaoh. That man wants me dead. And in there we see the first question Moses asks. Who am I? <laughs> Who am I? If you've got a little outline, that's our, that's our first point. Who am I? He's a shepherd. He's a dead man walking. If God is all-seeing, all-knowing, then surely he'd know that Moses has already attempted his own little exodus, his own failed attempt to liberate God's people. He killed a man. Now he's on the run. He's a fugitive. He can't dare go back. And think, what do we normally do? When we give somebody a task and they don't feel equipped or up to it, we encourage them, don't we? We try and build them up. Don't put yourself down like that. Don't be silly. Of course you can. But notice here, God doesn't big Moses up. (laughs) Moses might appear to us to have all the right credentials, whether he believes it or not. So I guess Moses' answer could have been along the lines of, well, Moses... You're a Hebrew. You're truly one of them. You've seen the misery of your people. You've heard their cries. Moses, you're an activist. You went down to rescue your brother when he was in need. You stepped in when you saw injustice. You're basically an Egyptian prince. You've got some influence. You've got every right to walk right up into Pharaoh's presence. Moses, over the last 40 years, you've proved yourself to be a shepherd. Is there anything you can't do? God doesn't say that. But notice that God doesn't kick Moses while he's down either, does he? He doesn't go, nah, Moses, actually, you're right. You're a bit bit useless. 
I might as well just go and do it myself then, shall I? doesn't say that either. God doesn't even promise Moses anything about changing him and making him more useful. But of course, as we read in Exodus, over time he does. Moses asks, who am I? You must be mistaken, God. I am not the right guy for the job. But God says, look at verse 12. I am. He says, I will be with you. See, it's not about Moses. It's not about whether or not he's the right sort of activist or whether he's even willing or, you know, his heart's in the right place. It's not about that. God says to him, Moses, you are the right sort of man to go because I will be with you. And church, that should be liberating for us as we hear that. God isn't expecting Moses to be anything. He's not expecting us to be anything. The reason we are equipped as Christians, as a church, to do the work that he's called us to is because he's with us. Old school preacher, maybe, I don't know how long ago it was, D.L. Moody. Some of you know who that is. He said this about Moses. He said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. 40 years learning he was nobody. And 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Who am I? Who am I, Moses asks. But then he asks, who are you? Do you see that? Verse 14, Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who are you? Moses' own father-in-law is a pagan priest. Moses himself being brought up with the privilege of Egyptian education and culture, was probably more familiar with the countless Egyptian gods than he was the Israelite god. And so Moses anticipates the Israelites asking, oh yeah, what what god would that be? What one? The sun god? The rain god? The war god? No, the bush god. I can't just call you the God of their fathers. What's your name? What shall I tell them? And that's a much deeper question than it initially seems. Remember, as we looked, names were a big deal in Hebrew culture. Moses' own name means something like to draw out. Moses, to draw out. Because he was, as a baby, drawn out of the River Nile in a basket. And then later, as he got older... Spoilers, he would draw out God's people from Egypt. And so Moses isn't just saying, what do I call you? What, what do I say when I want your attention? He's really asking, how do I identify you to them among all the other Elohim, all the other gods? Who are you as a person? Who are you at your very core? What's your story? What makes you, you? 
God. And he's more than just a God. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. We'll break this up into three parts. I am, for short. It's who he is. There's a few new faces here since the last time I've um, uh, spoken at the front. And um, some of you might not even know who, what my name is. And so suppose I came up to you after the service and said, hello, how are you? Yeah, yeah. And you say, oh, sorry, what's your name? And I just said to you, well, I'm just me. I am who I am. You'd probably think I was being a bit pretentious, wouldn't you? Now, I'm not an expert at all in ancient Hebrew, okay? But from what I can pick up, this, it's, a, it's, it's like the verb to be. And it can also be translated, it's on the screen, to be. I was, I am, I will be. It's the same thing, same word for all three of these. And you might notice as well that your Bibles are likely to have a footnote that says, under I am who I am, I'll say under there, I will be what I will be. And it's not that there's something wrong with the translation there. Don't, don't, you don't have to not trust your Bibles because of it. But rather, what God says here is so vast and rich and vibrant that it is stifled by the English language. So let me try and add some colour to this for you. God says here, I am who I am. I was what I was. I was what I am. I was what I will be. I am who I was. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I was, sorry, I will be who I was. I will be who I am. I will be who I will be. It is bottomless. It is boundless. One writer I came across said that we will be plumbing the depths and exploring the magnitude of it for all eternity. This statement, I am who I am, was, is, will be, it conceals as much as it reveals God's nature. It's as if God is intentionally being ambiguous about who he is. It's, it's a bit weird. I am who I am. It sounds like something a Dr. Seuss character might say. I do not like green eggs and ham. But see that word that we looked at the start, that word God, Elohim, it's a title. God is not the name of our God. Calling him God just puts him into the category of the being he is. But that's not enough. He is more than just another God. He's more than just another name to add to the list alongside Krishna and Ra and Zeus. Whatever other God you want to have. And the Bible actually gives God all sorts of different titles. You'll be familiar with a few of them. If you don't get it, don't worry. El Shaddai. God Almighty. 
El Roy, the God who sees me. El Olam, the everlasting God. And all these things are absolutely true. Of course they are. But these are not names. These are merely titles. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is a God of many titles, but one name. He's not like a superhero who has abilities and so we name him after those abilities. For example, think about a superhero who can shoot spider webs from his wrists and climb walls like a spider and has loads of other sort of spider-like attributes. What might we call him? Spider-Man. God's not like that. God will not be named like that. God refuses here to be put into a box He won't be defined by a name that shoehorns him into being just something. Who are you? I am who I am. He says here that he's incomparable. Church, there is. It's confusing, I know that. There is deep mystery here. But doesn't it make you want to know him more? I am. It's who God is. But secondly, I am is nothing new. Verse 6. I am, I was, I will be, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There's a lot wrapped up in those verses alone. God here names, different names, and each of those names tell a story. Stories that spoke of the calling of a family who would become the people of God. But not only that, each of those stories tell us in a different way what God is like. And he hasn't changed from generation to generation. And now Moses is about to play his part in this big story of grace. The same, just give me a minute, I'm sorry. Moses is now about to play his part in this big story by the grace of the same God who called his ancestors. The same God who made covenant promises to his ancestors. The same God who said to his ancestor, Abraham, back in Genesis 15, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And that they will be enslaved and and ill-treated there. This is the same God who said, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Who? I will. I am will. Same word. Same God. As well, God has already been subtly announcing his name to Moses in this conversation before Moses has even asked the question. Who are you? See, God is not telling Moses something brand new here. God's been drip-feeding it into the conversation. God says, I have seen. 
I have heard. I am concerned. I have come down. I am sending you. Who am I? I will be with you. Who are you? Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. The God who is. Think about it like this. When you reach out to a friend, you reach out to them and you get them, you receive them as they are in that moment, as they present themselves to be, right? How they think, how they feel, what they know. They don't yet have the wisdom and the maturity that comes with time and experience. People are ever-changing, we know that. People are incomplete, people are often unpredictable. We engage with people as they are somewhere in that process. When we reach out to the Lord, the I am, we call out to him as he is in that moment. Which is what he always was which is what he always is and always will be. He's not restricted by the burden of time. He doesn't gain knowledge or wisdom. He just is. He's not like us when we have a conversation with somebody and we sort of think, oh man, why did I say that? Why did I act like that? Why didn't I say that? God's not like that. Man, when I think about the sort of person I was two, three, four years ago, I cringe at the person I used to be, the things I used to say. God doesn't cringe at himself. God isn't embarrassed about who he was in a previous life and another time. When we reach out to God in prayer, it is as if though, just a moment ago, Moses and God were on that mountain talking with one another in Exodus 3. And then we come to him and cry out, Father, God, hear us. And God turns his attention from Moses to us in Rotherham, here and now. And he doesn't drop a ball anywhere else in time as he does so. It's like he's got 100,000 million balls in the air, plates spinning everywhere, all across time. And he's not limited by space or time or energy in order to keep them all upheld and sustained. That's our God. I'm going to throw some big theological words at you. He's immutable. He is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere, all the time. Nothing changes about him. And nothing causes him to change. Not our obedience not the measure of our faithfulness or lack thereof. He loves his people. He is committed to his people. He is committed to fulfilling his purposes. And his name tells us exactly that. He was, he is, he always will be the hearing, seeing, concerned, intervening, saving God. The Lord is our salvation. Great is his faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. 
thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Over the years, God's people revered this name to the extent that they stopped saying it aloud so that they wouldn't break the third commandment, being using his name in vain. And so even in our Bibles, you'll spot every so often the word Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters. And that was the substitution as a reminder for them not to pronounce that divine name. I am, in Hebrew, Yahweh. In English, we might say Jehovah. And we can certainly appreciate something of that respect and reverence for his name, can't we? But I've got one criticism of it. And it's the exact same as that of using the word God. It's impersonal. The word Lord is not unique to our Lord. Every other religion offers a God who is far off, unconcerned, unbothered about us. Our God, the I Am, is so much further and higher than any other religion says about their God. And our God comes so much closer than any other God ever could or ever would. The Bible says these words in the New Testament, that there are many gods, there are many lords. And yet for us, for us, there is one God. The Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So thirdly and finally, I am is who Jesus is. Colossians 1 reads, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Think about that. The image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. We can't ignore the fact that the New Testament writers fully know Jesus to be God himself. John's Gospel, if you've read it, is absolutely dripping with it. You'd have to go to a lot of effort and a lot of dodgy editing to make it say otherwise. Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. See that big fiery pillar in Exodus? That's me. I am the good shepherd. I'm also the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Maybe you're not convinced by all that. Let's keep going. John chapter 8. Jesus says thousands of years ago, before Abraham was, I am. I was. I will be. Reading on, it says, At this they picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what, or rather, who he was claiming to be. John chapter 13, Jesus says, I tell you these things, this is my favourite one, I tell you these things so that when they happen, you will believe 
that I am who I am. When he's arrested, Jesus asks them, who is it you want? They say, Jesus, we want Jesus. Jesus says, I am he. Oh, that doesn't mean that. They drew back and fell to the ground. You can't ignore this. They know exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. The writer of the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, forever, echoing that he was, he is, he will be. Jesus puts a face to the name. I am who I am. He is the same saving God who has come to rescue his people from slavery. A slavery far worse than that administered by the Egyptians. A slavery to sin and to death itself. Jesus has come to reveal the very nature of God to us. To make it visible and effective for us. Get this. This is important. It it is not enough to say you just believe in a God. It's not enough to just say you believe in God. Do you know the one true God? The God who spared no expense to redeem you. The God who sees your every need, who hears your cries, who is concerned for you. The God who sent his one and only son to save you. The I am. I am who I am. Exodus 3 verse 15, if you've still got it open in front of you. God says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation to generation to generation. Moses asks, who am I? Who am I that I should go? God promises him, I will be with you. And who are we? Who are we that we should be the recipients of such a great gift? To know the one true God through Jesus Christ, the one who sends us to play our part in redeeming his people, to make disciples, to go and make the salvation of the great I am known. Let me just read these words to finish from Matthew 28. These are the last words of the risen Jesus before he ascends to his father. And listen to how this echoes the commission of Moses. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.